Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. Thank you so much, Michelle. You know, it was the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard who said, purity of heart is to will the one thing. And uh, I thought about that ever since I first read him in college. But I want to say, and I know I said this to you even personally, uh, Michelle, but we are just so grateful for your voice and for your heart that is on display in this community. And thanks for prayerfully preparing uh, even that time for us. We love at our church to hear what God's doing in people's lives and to learn from one another. And Michelle, you are just a gift. Uh, to this church. So seriously, thank you so much for that. I uh, am incredibly, incredibly grateful. And friends, I am grateful to see you today as well. If I haven't met you already, my name is Tyler, uh, and I am one of the co-pastors here. And we are so glad that you're here this morning, uh, be it in person or even the folks that are joining us uh, online. And as we begin our time together today, I would love to tell you what I used to do on Wednesday nights. I wanna tell you a little bit what I used to do on Wednesday nights, and I say used to do because it's not what I do anymore on Wednesday nights, okay? I'm not talking about Netflix and scrolling Twitter. There was a time before COVID uh, where people made plans, where people went out places, and uh, when that world existed, if you can remember it, I used to spend my Wednesday nights at Poetry Slams. Uh, I was at Poetry Slam. See, when I lived and pastored in Kansas City, uh, my apartment was just mere blocks away from this place called the Uptown Arts Bar. And on Wednesday night, local poets would gather and they'd share their work with dreams of winning the Slam's cash prize. So in that open mic environment, as you can imagine, I heard a lot of outstanding poems. Uh, I also heard a whole lot of poems that just weren't quite ready for prime time. But I kept going back and back and back, Wednesday after Wednesday, and why did I want to go? I went in hopes that maybe this night, maybe on this Wednesday night, there's gonna be some kind of poem that just moves me. There's gonna be some kinds of words that just stir something deep within me, something that would take my breath away. Now, I am not the first nor the last person to get drawn in by good poetry. Uh, The Greeks loved poetry. I don't know if you've heard this ancient Greek tale of Orpheus. They said he was this poetic prodigy. He was trained in his craft by Apollo, and they said Orpheus could paint worlds with his words. His power, they said, rested in his ability to help others see how things could be in spite of the way that they currently were, right? So according to Greek legend, things didn't work out well for Orpheus. You can read that on your own time. But his words, they said, his words endured. And I do think that words have a way of sticking with us. And poets, they, they know this. They know that their words can get stuck in our heads and in our hearts. It's why I could recite, if you wanted me to, probably at least a dozen poems from Shel Silverstein. Uh, it's why you, if you were put on the stage, could probably just recite the words from your favorite rapper, right? Modern poets. Uh, it's why our nation was captivated this past week by our National Youth Poet Laureate, right? Amanda Gorman, who just stole the show at inauguration. It's because the greatest poets use their words well. They use their words well. And this morning, as we step back into the biblical wisdom literature, uh, as we wrap up our series focused on how we can live more wisely in the new year and live more like Jesus in 2021, we're going to discover that the wisest people also use their words well. 
the wisest people use their words well. They give consideration to what they say and when they're going to say it. They're thoughtful about their speech. They're wise with their words because they know that words have great power. Right? They have power. And they know that words mean something, and so they must be spoken purposefully and lovingly. See, over the past few weeks as we've been moving through this series, we've talked about how to be wise with our time. Right? We started with time, and we've talked about how to be wise with our money and with our attention. And we've said each week that it is possible, right? it's possible to use these limited valuable resources in life, our time, our money, and attention. It's possible to squander them away. We can waste time, we said. We can throw away money. We can misdirect our attention. And this morning, we're going to see that our words, though they may not be as limited as our time, and though they might not be as expensive as our money, right? They nevertheless can bring about devastating ruin when used foolishly. Uh, Proverbs 18.21 teaches that the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruits, right? Your words... Your words can speak life or they can speak death. They can build other people up or they can tear others down. And those who love to use their words, right? The tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it, those who love to talk a lot, text a lot, this proverb says they will reap what they sow. The results of their words will be evident in the world. It's what the author means when he says that their tongues will eat of its fruit. It's the idea that what we say matters, that our words have consequences. But those consequences can be as serious as life and death. So before we get going, I just want to pause quickly and ask, how do you use your words? How do you use your words? Do your words bring life to those around you? Do they build up those that you know? Or do your words tend to bring hurt or heartache or despair? How do you use your words? You know, in the school district where I grew up, we had this regular visitor uh, in our classes. Uh, She came frequently, her name was Mrs. Cubic, and she had like real wiry hair and then bright tortoiseshell glasses, okay? And Mrs. Cubic would come in, she was this trained like mental health professional, and she would talk about bullying, she would talk about how to use your time well, she would talk about uh, all kinds of emotional things and processing your emotions, she had so much to share. But something that Mrs. Cubic repeated year after year again and again, stuck with me. She said, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will break your heart. And maybe your heart has been broken by words, or maybe someone significant to you has said something devastating to you. And now you live with the consequences of those words, or maybe there's words you wish you could take back, maybe there's things you've said too quickly, but now the damage is done, what's said was said, things are the way they are. I mean, how do you use your words? Because sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can break your heart. I mean, it reminds me of what scripture says in Proverbs 12, 18, when it says the words of the reckless pierce like swords. Reckless words can cut deep, right to the core. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. We have the power to cut others with our words, but we also have the ability to bring healing by what we say. So in the time we have together this morning, as we seek to be wise with our words, we're going to ask, are there ways of speaking we should avoid? Are there ways of speaking we should avoid? And are there other ways of speaking we should embrace? Are there ways of speaking we should avoid? 
Are there ways of speaking we should embrace instead? And as always, we're going to let the biblical text be our guide. So if you have a Bible with you, will you join me in Proverbs 19? Uh, Proverbs 19, we're going to start in verse 9. And again, we're asking the big question, uh, are there ways of speaking we should avoid? And I can think of three. And the first one is found right here in Proverbs 19. Uh, first, I think if we're thinking, okay, what speech is wise? What speech is unwise? Ways of speaking we could avoid. Proverbs 19 says, we should say no to lying. We should say no to lying. Proverbs 19.9 says, a false witness will not go unpunished. And whoever pours out lies will perish. Now, this text specifically is zeroing in on those who lie in court. Uh, it imagines kind of this courtroom scene. I love people's court. I love Judge Judy, so I'm right there. Uh, it's imagining this courtroom scene, and it's talking about someone who ascends the witness stand, takes an oath, and then still utters lies. And this proverb says, a false witness will not go unpunished. That's what the text says. But I imagine some of you might be thinking, okay, Tyler, that sounds nice and all, but like, is that really true? Because I feel like people get away with lying all the time. I mean, many people in many contexts lie under oath. False witnesses, don't they like go unpunished every day? And to that objection, I would say, okay, fair point. And yet I want to remind you that the Proverbs that are, we find in our Bibles, they aren't promises. Uh, the Proverbs weren't written to promise that if you do X, Y will always be the result. They're more complex than that. They're more human than that. They're nuanced and dynamic. The Proverbs, they aren't promises. They aren't just dictated declarations that like, if this happens, this will always happen. Instead, they're reminders of deeper truths about the way the world works. Maybe you remember that from week one. We said biblical wisdom help us go with the grain of creation. So the Proverbs, they aren't always a promise. Like, if you do, then you will. If you do, then you will. They're, they're general principles, but they say this is how the world works. And so Proverbs 19.9 says a false witness will not go unpunished. It doesn't mean they'll always get caught in the moment. They might, quote, get away with it, so to speak, for a time. But, Proverbs says, but there are always consequences for lying. And every time you utter an untruth, every time you bear false witness, there are consequences. Maybe you'll be found out in the moment, but maybe, maybe just your own soul will be diminished. You know, now you're going to have to remember that lie for life, and so your peace will evaporate. Uh, your anxiety could increase. What if someone finds out? Your ability to trust others vanish. Because, you know, you said a big lie. It's like, well, are they lying to me? And your heavenly Father, who knows the truth, uh, he bears witness, he sees the fact that you used a falsehood. You see, a lie is using your words to deceive others, and lies may seem innocent enough in the moment, but it is a way that we speak death. It hurts those that we lie to, and it hurts us as well. Proverbs 12, 19 says, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue only lasts a moment. Do you know what makes lying so unwise? Lying ignores the fact that we're all connected, uh, that we don't live in isolation, that when we lie to someone somewhere, now we're going to have to maintain that lie. We're going to have to lie to them again. We're going to have to lie to other folks that we know to support the initial lie. And a lying tongue, it gets us what we want in the moment, but it haunts us forever. And Proverbs says you don't have to live this way. To the contrary, truthful lips, right? They endure. So think about your words, friends. And think about mine. When are you tempted to lie? When am I tempted to lie? 
Is it when things might get uncomfortable? Is it to avoid pain or avoid a consequence? Is it to keep a secret habit secret for a little bit longer? I mean, think about when you lie and think about how you lie. Do you typically lie to make yourself look better? Do you lie to make others look worse? Are you someone who's a little more prone to exaggeration or a little more prone to minimize? I mean, a lying tongue gets us what we want in the moment, but it haunts us forever. Right? It steals peace of mind. It creates distance between us and those that we care about. And a false witness, we read, will not go unpunished, whether we're found out right away or haunted for months or maybe years. Lying ultimately makes life more difficult. There are certain ways of speaking that we should avoid to be wise. Well, yes, there are, and lying would be the first. We'll start with lying. And the second is words spoken in anger. Words spoken in anger would be the second. Now, I want to be very clear here. Uh, anger, the emotion, is not a bad thing, all right? So anger is an emotion, uh, and we see in the Gospels even that Jesus had anger, the emotion, right? Jesus gets very mad. Uh, when people have turned the temple, what should be a house of prayer, into like a marketplace. So he didn't like that too much. Uh, Jesus got very mad when religious leaders used their position of elevated status to like lord themselves over others instead of serving others, right? So Jesus' anger, like the emotion, we see that modeled in Jesus. Anger, the emotion, is not bad. Uh, but anger, the reaction, or anger, the word spoken just with pure rage, uh, that can catch up with us. I mean, Proverbs 29, 11 says, fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end, right? Fools, Proverbs said, they, they lean into anger, the reaction, not bad to have anger, the emotion, but they'll lean into the reaction and they might hastily utter words that give full vent to their rage. They let it all fly. And then when they calm down a little bit, they're like, oops, I probably said too much. But now the damage is done. You know, I came in like a wrecking ball uh, and I shouldn't be surprised that there's wreckage left in the wake. When we give ourselves over to that anger, there are things that sometimes we say that then can't be unsaid. And there is relational damage that sometimes occurs uh, that might take months or even years to repair. Uh, when I was in high school, two dear friends had like very life-altering circumstances. So uh, one buddy was in a terrible car accident, actually at the end of our junior year on the way to prom. Uh, another friend was diagnosed with a like big brain tumor. And so this is my senior year in high school. And I thought, man, we should do like this benefit concert to kind of help out. And so we pulled out all the stops. There's group numbers, there's solo numbers, there's monologues, there's poetry. There was a dancer. Uh, it was some, I don't know, Luther Vandross song and like a solo dancer. It was not me, right? But we're bringing all of this together in the high school auditorium. And I'm like directing it and producing it. And I have all these big dreams. And my sweet father volunteers to run sound for this benefit conference or concert. And so we're, uh, you know, we're in a rehearsal space kind of like this one. We're working through the opening number. There are a few tech cues that are missed and I immediately hop off that stage and I march my way back up to the, uh, back up the aisles. I get all the way back to the sound booth. I look my dad in the eye and I say, you're ruining my freaking dreams. <laughs> Except it was a little more explicit, y'all. So use your imagination, adults. And uh, my dad sat there stunned at first. Okay, stunned at first. Uh, and I really, I mean, honestly, I don't quite remember how things worked out afterwards. I know he stayed because he's a good man. I know he finished the rehearsal. I know we talked about it later. Um, and we still laugh about 
that moment from time to time now in our family, and sometimes even still, when things aren't going my way or stuff's difficult, my dad might look over and smile and be like, am I ruining your dreams? Um, but my anger then led to an outburst uh, that fortunately, fortunately, resulted now in a story that my family can laugh about. Okay, it's a funny one, it's a family legend, there's people that love that story when I tell it. Um, but you know, and I know that it doesn't always end that way. And we could all share examples of times that our words got ahead of us and they cut people that we care about to the core. And we said we're sorry and they said they forgive us, uh, but the memory of that moment lives on and that's what Proverbs wants to help us avoid. Right, your angry words, they feel good in the moment, don't they? They feel good to you. They don't feel good to those around you. And fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. Proverbs 15, 18 says, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Uh, the idea is this, again, there's nothing wrong with anger, the emotion, but anger, the reaction, and words spoken in anger, they're gonna create some heartache, which is why a little patient matters, right? I mean, we used to tell kids when I worked at the library, it's like, can you count to 10? And that's great advice for adults too. Taking a deep breath, collecting your thoughts before you speak, watching your tone. These are wise and important practices because you can say something in anger you regret, but it is hard to take back words once they are said. So are there ways of lying we should avoid? Of course, yeah, there's, there's lying, there's anger. Uh, and finally, finally, there's gossip. There's gossip. Now, you know, this week, uh, and this is one of the things I think Kat was even talking about earlier on. Thank you, sweet Kat. Guys, we have been looking for a house uh, for about a year, and this week we finally got one under contract. So I, yeah, I'm thrilled. Uh, it is a massive answer prayer, because there were multiple houses. Maybe you, if you've been around here a while, you know, sometimes I've come over and been like, we lost another one. You know, so we had so many that didn't work. This one feels like it's working. We want to see it through to completion. But this week we had the inspection for that house. Uh, and I loved the inspection. It was about like almost five hours long. Uh, it was with this sweet older gentleman who I think knows everything about houses. His name is Tom and I love Tom. And Tom taught me so many things during the inspection. I learned where the gas shutoff is in our basement. Okay, that could be helpful. Uh, I learned that termites, did you know this? Termites thrive in wet wood, but not dry wood. And that they actually don't live inside the house. They go in and out, like they don't make colonies. I guess carpenter ants can live in your house, but not termites. They're always going in and out. You're welcome. Uh, that's something new today. Uh, I learned, uh, gosh, what else did I learn? I learned how a ground fall interrupter works. Uh, I think I'm saying that right, the outlet and like why you need breakers and all that. So that was phenomenal. And I learned um, that water can erode and chip away at a foundation. Right, that water can just chip away at a foundation, that this fundamental element of life, water, has the capacity to destroy if its flow is undirected and if its path isn't purposeful. And friends, I think that is a great image of what happens when we use our words to gossip. I mean, our words that have the capacity to bring life, our words that have the capacity to build others up, like water on a foundation, can erode anything good and solid at the bottom of a friendship. It can tear others down in kind of a pathetic attempt to make ourselves feel better or bigger. It brings about mistrust. And what is gossip? It's habitually revealing personal or sensational facts about someone 
else. And Proverbs 11:13 says that a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. And a gossip betrays a confidence, a trustworthy person keeps a secret. Now to be very clear, this verse isn't saying uh, that it's never okay to be a whistleblower in a toxic environment, right? Or that it's never okay to seek external help when it's appropriate or when it's necessary. Jesus followers aren't just like sworn oath, ride or die, I'm never gonna tell your secret. Sometimes, right, there's times where it's appropriate to say something. But information that we know has been like shared in confidence, we should keep in confidence. Right? We are invited to be trustworthy people who honors others' trust by respecting their disclosure. And here's what happens in faith communities like this one. I hope it's not happening here, but man, here's what can happen so easily, friends. We can so easily deceive ourselves into sharing gossip by presenting it as a prayer request. Right? Hey, can you guys help me pray for Chris? Boom, 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 right? All this stuff. Or by telling ourselves that we're sharing it because it's concerning us. So it's like, hey, I need help with this because, you know, this person's issue is actually weighing me down. And now I'm going to, like, backhandedly share it with you, right? We kind of find delight in sharing all those saucy details. But come on, friends, we know better. This is a mature crew. There's something broken in all of us that enjoys recounting the broken details in others. But that's called gossip. And we shouldn't waste our words that way. Gossip leads to the disintegration of friendship in community. I mean, it is the great enemy of our family on mission. Everything we say we're about here could be destroyed if gossip gets hold of this community. I mean, the tongue has the power of life and death, and there are ways of speaking that we should avoid. Lying, anger, gossip, they don't create the kind of community desire that we desire. They're not gonna create the kind of relationships that you want. Our words, they have the power to kill or the power to heal. And so we need to be careful with them. We need to use them wisely and use them well. I've talked about a lot of negative examples of speech. It's like, okay, Tyler, don't leave me in a hopeless place. Like, what does it look like to use our words well? Well, let me share a few stories. When I left Christ Community in Kansas City to move to Cincinnati, I'd help get this new family started to get this church launched. One of the kindest things that Christ Community did was print a whole bunch of postcards that were pre-addressed to my new address in Cincinnati. And I have them here. It is quite a deck of postcards, friends. And people sent some of the kindest words that would show up day after day after day from an old church as a new venture was starting. I mean, I... Uh, I was gonna say I made the mistake of rereading them this morning. It wasn't a mistake, it just meant that I cried before I came. Uh, but they were beautiful, right? Healing words, encouraging words that came unexpected that meant the world to me as we worked together to start something brand new in a crazy time, all right? Proverbs 12, 18, again, it says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords. We know our words can pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And wise people at Christ Community knew that these postcards would mean a whole lot. And so they put in the work to make sure that they would get to me, and they have blessed me again and again and again. So are there ways of speaking we should avoid? Of course. Yeah, of course there are. But are there ways of speaking that wisdom would have us embrace? Yeah, definitely. Certainly. I mean, we can run towards words of healing and encouragement. We can run towards words that build others up 
words that maybe like mend the wounds that other people's words have left. I mean, I think if we're looking for a paradigm, like how do we use our words well, what should we do with our words? We can consider how Jesus used his words. You know, Jesus used his words to speak life. Uh, He used his words to heal people of leprosy and disease. He used his words to give sight to the blind. He used his words to forgive sins. He used his words to heal people from demonic oppression. He used his words to raise people from the dead. He used his words to share good news. Jesus used his words to build up those around him. So as we prepare to leave this space in a few moments and head back to our lives outside this room, right away from this special Shakespeare theater and to go be back with our friends and our coworkers and our families, as we go back to the real world out there, I'd love to invite you to join me in asking this question. Okay, if we're thinking about how am I wiser with my words, here's a great question that I hope can help. Who needs a word of healing? Who needs a word of healing? Who that you know needs you to use their words wisely so that they can be inspired or comforted or encouraged or reminded that they're loved? Who needs a word of healing? It's the first question. And then the second part, who needs a word of healing? And then would you say it? Right? Who needs a word of healing? Okay, I'm going to say it. Who needs a word of healing? All right, I think, I think I'm going to say it. This is a way that we can be so much wiser with our speech. This is a way we can say fewer things that we regret and say more things that we know build other people up. And you know what means so much to me? Uh, On the night when he was betrayed, so Jesus says last night is a free man before he's murdered, um, he used his words to launch a brand new practice. He used his words to inaugurate a meal that his followers had been sharing together for centuries. See, we're told that at a dinner with his disciples, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then the same way after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup, it's the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. See, Jesus helped his followers see how things could be, how things would be eventually, even though they had no way of understanding what was happening right before their eyes immediately. Because in mere hours, he would be arrested, then he would be tortured, and he would be killed. And they would all doubt their faith, wondering if they'd been deceived by just the latest, you know, guru to sweep Jerusalem and say that they knew the way towards eternal life. They had no way of knowing that resurrection was right around the corner. And so they didn't understand the meaning of this final meal and of these words that Jesus was saying, this bread, your body, this cup, your blood. They had no way of knowing they were at the first instance of a meal that would be celebrated literally by billions around the world thousands of years later. They had no idea. Sorry, I'm emotional, friends. They had no idea what was about to happen, but Jesus knew. And in that moment, he used his words to start something. And he said, one day you're going to be so glad I did this. One day you're going to want to reflect on this meal. One day when there's more of you and you're following my path, you're going to be grateful for these periodic reminders of my death on your behalf. 
Because he said, my death and resurrection, it's going to make all the difference in your life. So this bread and body, Jesus said, he said, I want you to like take this as often as you're together and have it in remembrance of me. And when you eat it, think of my body broken for you and my blood poured out on your behalf. And so that's why today at this end of this message about words, as we're thinking about how to use our words wisely, I could think of no better way to end than for all of us to gather around the Lord's table again together. And friends, we love the Lord's table at City Church OTR because we know that here, gathered around this family meal, we're reminded of what's ultimately true. We're reminded of God's great love for us and of his great invitation to us to join him at his table. So if you're a follower of Jesus, in just a few moments, we're going to eat this bread and drink this cup together. I hope you got one when you came in, but if you didn't, that's all right. Uh, They're sitting in kind of these chairs at the end of your aisles. We can make sure that you get one or you could grab one yourself now. I mean, we ask you to join us. And if you're not sure about this whole Jesus thing and this is new to you, you've got some questions, no pressure to hop on in now. But please, I'd love to answer any questions that you have about this. I mean, I like clearly get really emotional and worked up about this whole meal. So it would be an honor to explain a little more why this means so much to me and why this means so much to us. This is a place that loves honest dialogue. And so literally any question, like we get a kick out of that. We would love to talk to you about this. But now... I mean, what an awesome moment to be able to join in this meal that Jesus inaugurated, started, launched, and to celebrate his death for you and his blood poured out for you. So if you have your little communion cup with you, uh, would you open it and pull out the little wafer? As you're unwrapping it and getting it ready, I want you to think of Christ's body broken for you broken for every foolish word you've ever uttered, every careless, deceitful, lying, mean, yell at your dad in the sound booth word you've ever said, right? Think of all of it. It's all right. Remember, Jesus has died for that and for so much more, the sins of the whole world. He loves you. His body broken for you. So whenever you're ready, would you take the bread and remember his death, his body broken for you? pull back that second layer we've got this cup and Jesus said this cup it's the new covenant that's inaugurated in my blood this agreement that any kind of penalty any kind of shame any big thing people are carrying it used to be your responsibility there was an old covenant right where this is something you had to carry yourself but Jesus said there's a new covenant in my blood and it's a better covenant it's one where I've taken that all on myself and instead I give you full life I probably will cry soon a whole lot um And so, if you've got your cup, think about what that means to you. What has Jesus taken that was way too heavy for you? Uh, What has he brought upon himself that you could never imagine someone else doing for you, and yet he did so lovingly uh, and so easily because he's powerful and he's God? Whatever that is, would you remember that um, as you take this cup in remembrance of his blood spilled for you? Friends, it is just so, so true that no matter if anything you've done, anything you've said, you are deeply loved by God. And so as we head into this time of singing and prayer, uh, there is always, there'll be like prayer open in the back. If you want to pray with someone, you'll join with our band in singing. But may you be reminded of that reality that words matter, but that God's words to you are, I love you. 
and I love you. And, and I will go cry now, and that that declaration makes all the difference. So we have a lot of time to respond. There's three songs up here. One of them had to change, so we're gonna sing a song called God, I Look to You in the middle. If you don't have that, you can look it up on your phone screen. But we have a lot of time to respond. May you be reminded of God's great love for you. Would you pray if you need it? Would you find help if you need it? We pray that this would be a space for you could, so you could hear God speak his words of love to you.